Check out Sport Calgary's This Week in Sport for the latest news and updates in Calgary's sports community. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the original Six Feet Conversation podcast. I am your host, Rob Kirk. Thanks for stopping by, kids. Always a pleasure to spend some time with you. Uh, I want to say a special hello to a friend of mine, Noah. Noah never misses a podcast, and uh, he's one of our biggest fans, so just wanted to give him a quick shout-out shout out today and hope he's doing well. Um, really excited about the guests we got coming up as we continue to dig down and find some uh, friends of mine and, uh, and just cool people that I want you to get to know, uh, and, and maybe they become your, uh, your uh, audio friends. I, I don't know how it works in the podcasting world, but you feel like you know them because they're telling you some stories and opening up. Uh, that is the case today. Full disclosure, n- never talked to this guy before this interview. Um, knew of him, uh, but n- but never had the chance to sit down and go one-on-one. And boy, did I enjoy this conversation. It's about a sport that many of us probably think we know a lot about, um, but when it comes down to it, I think you're going to find that it's uh, it's it's got some detail that maybe you didn't appreciate. I certainly didn't. Um, I just I love this conversation. But I do want to point out and preface that as we talk uh, to this young man, he is uh, an Olympian. He qualified for Tokyo. He will go in 2021. Um, but this became a very raw, very quick chat. And I cannot thank uh, Trevor Hoffbauer enough. Um, for trusting us to to share his story, um, and it, it, as I say, right away this one's going to get you early, 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 early. And he was really honest. He was really raw, um, and I appreciate it. Uh, we we get to some some fun stuff, and we get to some really neat stuff uh, the further we go on. Uh, but here's a Calgary kid, like went to school here, grew up here, families here, here now. Um, and you can hear it in his voice, his pride of, of Calgary, his pride of being a runner from Calgary. Um, so I, I, I just, this one's special for me. I hope you enjoy it. I really do. Uh, just a reminder, if you want the latest Sport Calgary updates in one place, sign up for Sport Calgary's newsletter for the latest monthly updates sent straight to your inbox. You can do so at sportcalgary.ca. You can check out his website at trevorhoffbauer.com. But check out this podcast first. Uh, I think you're really, really going to be proud of this Calgarian. You, you scare the hell out of me because I read an article and in there it says, my outer skin is pretty thick and I don't open myself up to others easily. <laughs> and I'm like, this is going to make a hard podcast. <laughs> no, uh, I'm pretty good with uh, opening up in podcasts and uh, being sociable when the time's right. <laughs> oh, that's, but, that's cool. Um, how, yeah. how you holding up? How, how is this treating you right now? Oh man, it's rough. It's really rough. Um, yeah, I don't even know where to begin. Um, like there's a, there's a big part of me that understands the impact that it's having on every single person on the planet. Yep. Um, and it impacts us differently, some more than others. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really hard to gauge like how, impacted you are in comparison to the rest of society because everything's just like so closed off um but yeah it's it's so weird so when did all of this present itself upon your radar when did you 
get the sense that something was afoot? Uh, probably like the beginning of March. Uh, okay. I think around the same time as a lot of North Americans, because up until that point, there wasn't a lot of cases in North America. Um, I guess the U.S. was picking up a little bit, and it was definitely hitting hard in Europe at that time. Um, but for me personally, it didn't start to become a thing until the beginning of March. And once the NBA suspended their season, yeah, everything else felt like dominoes. And that's when I think everybody realized that like this is big and it's going to take a lot of time for us to get past it. It's funny you mentioned that because that was for me, I, I, you know, that was a crazy half hour going from something's going on in Utah to the NBA shut down. Um, yeah. And, and all of a sudden right then it's like, you know, because we haven't been through this before. What, what happens next was, was it that Wednesday night? Was that kind of, you know, not traumatic, but was it, you know, a, a difficult night to process thing. It was sobering. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause, um, so at the, at that moment I was training for the world half marathon championships in, uh, in Poland. And that was going to be taking place on March 28th and athletics Canada had just named that team on the Thursday. Um, and I was named to that team. So I was, I was excited and I was fit and I was ready to go. And then on the Friday, um, they canceled that race or postponed it. And um, with the combination of then the NHL suspended their season. And um, I don't know if the NFL took action or if it was the MLB. Everybody just started taking action. Everybody started shutting things down. It, it just like it hit like a ton of bricks. Right. And it was like, it became very, very real, very quick. Um, I had a, we were down in Arizona in February and I ran a race there and I met up with my cousin from Winnipeg after that race. And she's a doctor and she worries a little bit more than other individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, but her concerns were appropriate. She was concerned about the virus then. And this was on like February 8th. And she was asking me if, uh, the Olympics were still going to go on and how everything was happening happening within my world and i'm like i kind of laughed it off i'm like it's mm, not going to be a big deal like i think you're worrying a little bit too much and then a month later it hit holy cow wow yeah. that's <clears throat> that is kind of so i mean yeah we all got it serious you know started looking at it seriously in march but you were you were kind of drawn in in february Jeez. a little bit hey yeah but i just kind of laughed it off and it was funny too so my birthday's at the beginning of March, and one of my cousins, her birthday is a few days before mine. So we were talking over the phone, and they live in Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, my cousin's kids are, uh, he's 18, 16, and then uh, Kate has just turned 11. So I was just talking to all of them, and I was talking to my cousin Griffin, and we're just joking around. We're like, oh, this is just like a little flu, like not a big deal. And this was on March, March 5th. Yeah. We're just joking around how everybody's freaking out and how it's not a big deal. And um, I guess I was a little naive then, but I was already like making sure I was keeping my distance from people. Okay. But I didn't think it was a big deal. And then, yeah, 10 days, yeah, less than 10 days later, um, we talked on the phone again. I'm like, hey, Griff, <laughs> <laughs> things have changed. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. Um, just walk us through, you know, what ha what was going through your mind um, with the decision with the Olympics? 
because you qualified your going, your first Olympics, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So this is obviously, you know, the most important thing in your life to this point right now. Where were you at? Did you have any, was there athlete conversation when, you know, it started? Like, should we, can we, will we? Where, where were you in all of that, Trevor? Yeah, it was a little weird because the IOC was saying that the Olympics were still going to take place yeah. uh, in July of 2020. And Athletics Canada, they were starting to implement guidelines uh, suggesting that athletes should not be training together. Uh, and then all clubs within Alberta and across Canada were told that they can no longer uh, operate on a daily basis. Uh, from there, the gym started to close. So we were really limited to our resources and what we could do physically for the preparation of our sport. And we were kind of all on edge about it, like thinking the IOC is saying that the games are still going to go on, but we can't really train. So like, what do we do? Yeah. And all of us just decided to continue to train to, to whatever extent we could. Um, but we all had kind of this feeling that something was going to happen. Just the IOC was really, um, they were really hesitant to say anything. And then once athletics Canada said that we will not be sending a team to Tokyo, then Australia said that they would not be sending a team to Tokyo. Um, before that, uh, the United States of America, they said they were putting in a proposal to postpone uh, the Olympics and they were trying to make a statement on their behalf. And uh, I think the United Kingdom said that they would not send the team as well. So it was at that point then the Olympics got postponed. So uh, then it was a little bit easier to take the foot off the gas. But for a week there, I was starting my preparation for Tokyo. Yeah. And it just like it kind of felt weird that I was preparing for Tokyo even though I knew that it wasn't going to happen, but we were still told that it was going to happen. What was that? And I, I might be off on the hours, but I want to say 16 to 18 hours from when Canada said, no, we're not going to go to when the postponement happened. Was it difficult for you? Was, was that a difficult thing to process? Not really. Cause I had already prepared for that. Like once the world half marathon okay. championships got postponed, yeah. um, then I was like, okay, this is a real thing. And then like the Boston Marathon got postponed to the fall and everything got postponed yep. uh, or canceled. So I was already kind of equipped to deal with that situation at the time. But then like a flood of contacts came through, like requesting interviews and opinions. And then like my family was asking me questions and it, it was just like so overwhelming that mm. I just couldn't process it anymore. And I just had to break down for one day and it was a pretty dark day, but um, I was just so overwhelmed and inundated with requests and opinions and trying to talk about the same situation without actually processing my own emotions about it. It was so weird. How'd you do that? How'd you process it? Were you able to lean on, things that you would use in preparation for races or post-race did you lean on somebody how did you you know how did you deal with that because i'm I, maybe i'm wrong trevor but would you have come across something like that before not yeah i, I haven't really come across something like that before so it's tough to process it um or tough to process it yep. um i'm i'm not one that really expresses my true emotions to a lot of people and even my partner. Mm -hmm. So there's a clip, there's a clip from the 
from Friends where Ross is saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, where he's, like, obviously not fine. Yeah. Um, and I'm really like that. Like, if somebody asks me how I'm doing, I'll just say I'm good, and then I try and care more for them um, because that's just kind of how I operate. So yeah. for a few days I was saying that I was fine and now I was good, and my partner could re- recognize that. And then finally she she pushed me to a point where, like, I had to break um, and I did, I, I literally locked myself into the closet and I curled up into a ball and I just processed everything and just let my emotions go. And I sat there for an hour and a half and then she came in and she didn't realize like how emotional I was at that moment. So then I finally just opened up and I told her and, um, we were able to move on from there, but it, yeah, it was it was a really dark time and it was tough to open up when I don't really have <laughs> the best ability of doing that. Yeah. Um, coming out of that, what have you had much clarity from organizers on what's going to happen in the next quarter? You are still going to 2021, right? There's, you, you know, there's nothing changes in that regard. Yes, you're correct. Okay. There is okay. nothing that changes. Okay. So now it's just more of shelter in place, prepare, do what you can, um, and and wait till we get out of this. And then will the, the planning and the, and the not serious training, because I, I don't want to disparage it, but is, is it just a matter of now getting to the end of this and, and then we'll see what the rest looks like? Yeah, it is. Um, right now I'm preparing. Uh, well, I'm still training hard right now as – an athlete that trains on the roads. I don't really need a gym. Yeah. I have my own weights at home. Uh, I can just put in all the miles that I need outside. So unless we get put on lockdown, then something would change there, but I'm still able to train. So I'm going to train for like a time trial this spring. Um, so I can still say, stay sharp physically and mentally. Right. And then in the fall, once races come around, hopefully I'll be able to perform at that time and then kind of transition into the Olympics next year. Um, so that's kind of like how I'm dealing with it physically right now. But there's, we've had a lot of calls with Athletics Canada and the COC. Um, and then Sport Canada has been really informative as well. So we've had the resources and uh, the individuals in place to provide us with the best updates as to what the future is going to look like. Um, but the biggest impact that it's having on me right now is financially because you make the Olympics sponsors are looking to uh, be a part of the, the next year with you uh, being on the roads, you get appear- appearance fees from races. Uh, you get prize money as well. Yeah. Um, uh, there's another implication funding. Um, so by I'm currently a non-carded athlete for sport Canada Okay. Uh, because my my time in on my time in October from the Toronto Marathon fell after the qualification period for funding in 2020, so it qualifies me for funding in 2021. Oh boy! Um, but every athlete that gets named to the Olympic team gets four months of carding going into the Olympics. Okay. And because the Olympics have been pushed to 2021, that four months of carding now gets pushed to 2021 as well. So every dollar that I was projected to make this year has now vanished. And that's been the biggest 
the biggest obstacle to overcome. It, can you overcome it? I mean, and, and obviously the things are changing and, and moving all the time, but have you gotten any sense from anybody out there, government, or Athletics Canada, whoever, that there will be some relief or some assistance? Yeah, there's the CRB, which we have all been advised to apply for. Yep. Hopefully that can come through. Um, there's also going to be a little bit of a change with the carding for this year. Usually carding starts in January of the calendar year, but it looks like they're making adjustments. So carding can start in September of 2020. Okay. So hopefully I can be added to that in September. So that would provide relief. Um, but outside of that, there really hasn't been much else. Um, I do work part-time to help offset my expenses and I do have savings that will get me through this time period. Um, but when you try and budget out your year and try and take a look at everything, just seeing a nice number go to zero is oh, pretty dramatic. 100%. Yeah. So with all that said, you know, what you've been very own, very honest and very upfront about the last couple of weeks. What is giving you joy right now? Where do you escape to? Are you binging something? Are you doing something? Do you have a hobby? Is there anything that, that Trevor Hoffbauer is doing right now to kind of distract himself from the pandemic? Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to find that. Um, I'm still trying to process their emotions. Um, so my, my grandmother has been diagnosed with COVID-19. She is in that McKenzie Town Care facility. Correct. Okay. Um, so as a family, we're trying to deal with that right now. Yeah. And... Um, I'm just like, I'm still so overwhelmed with the emotion of that and with the Olympics being postponed and trying to plan out the future that I don't really have that escape yet. And I'm usually like running is my escape for a lot of stress, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's so cold out. <laughs> yeah. You get that. And then you get that, right? Like all of a sudden April, it's a cold April. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. So to be running in like minus 15 or minus 11, when you can see the buds on the trees and like, it literally just needs a few days of like 10 to 15 degrees yep. for those buds to just like open right up. Oh, it's so close, but usually running is my outlet and it's just not doing it right now. So I'm just trying to uh, let time pass because if running doesn't do it for me, time does. Right. So right. Uh, just trying to stay level headed and be positive and let time go. I want to just get to know you as an athlete, but get to know the process of, of what you do a little bit better. Because I think for many of us on the outside, when we look at marathoners or we look at road racers, it's a very singular sport. It's it's very obviously very individual, um, but I get the sense there is a bit of a team aspect to it. Who is involved with making you ready for the Olympics? Who is who's on your team to help you prepare? Yeah, that's a really really good question. Um, marathon running is a very individual sport. When you see the athlete on the start line, and it just within that one person's control, right? Yeah. Um, but I do have a coach with the Calgary Spartans named Dion Flynn. He has been phenomenal in giving me direction. Uh, we do work together when we do set up my training program. So it's a collaboration of both individuals and I have coached myself in the past. So I know what works really well for me and Dion has other thoughts as well. So we kind of collaborate and put that together and that optimizes our training and, uh, gets the best out of the athlete, which is myself. Um, from there, uh, we do have our long-distance crew 
um, with the Spartans who were all in junior high, high school. So younger crew Mm -hmm. and uh, they're definitely motivating because they, they work hard. And I think that me as a post collegiate athlete who is still not even at my own peak um, and going to be representing Canada at the Olympics, I think that there's good teamwork and bonding right there where I can provide them with inspiration and they can keep me grounded at the same time because it kind of brings me back to my roots of just thinking back where I was in high school and how ambitious I was and what I was told at that time to get me to the level where I am now. And hopefully I can provide that as a resource to them. And then from there, I got Richard Merritt at Lifemark South Trail Physiotherapy. Yep. He's He's been in my court since I was in high school. I went to him for ankle sprains when I was playing basketball, um, knee injuries. He's been helping me out so much over the last year and a half, uh, getting me prepared physically for every race that I do. And same with Katrina. She's at the same facility, and she's a massage therapist. So she's done a really good job too, and I love uh, – just those massages, they just flush everything out and get the body going again. And then from there, it's it's my family, it's my friends. Uh, Jeremy Deere at Strides Running Store, he's provided me with a part-time job to help pay the bills. And he's uh, an elite athlete himself, and he's won the Mother's Day race in Calgary for 10 years straight, back <laughs> in his prime. And yeah. um, he's also a very respectable athlete on the track. He's gone to many world championships for cross. So he understands the elite side of training and he understands how much time it takes to dedicate towards the sport. So he's able to give me the time off when I need it, but he also gives me shifts um, to help pay the bills. So I'm thankful for that. And then we have our Bow Valley Harrier crew, which is uh, composed of 30, 30 guys who just run hard and work hard at their daily office job downtown. Um, So it's a big group. I'd say that like my support system is, 50 to 60 people. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's, it's awesome. I'm super thankful because Calgary yeah. really does have a rich running community that is very supportive and encouraging. What about a nutritionist? What about sports psychologists? Do you have access through the feder- uh, you know, the associations or the federations or anything? I don't. Um, I'm not a part of, uh, what is it? Uh, which one's, uh, CSI, oh, so, yeah, Canadian CSI, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not a part of CSI, so I don't have access to that, but I am pretty smart with what I eat. Um, I do take my vitamin D and I take my magnesium and I take my calcium mm-hmm. to make sure that um, my bones aren't breaking. <laughs> and <laughs> that's kind of uh, important, right? Totally, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, and when I do go to a high altitude, I do make sure that I'm taking some iron as well so uh, I am educated in terms of nutrition and I know that like sticking to the perimeter of grocery stores is going to get you uh, the best food possible for your body so I do make sure that I take in a lot of nutrients and the right amount of nutrients Um, and then sports psychologist I I don't really think I need one like my my partner she's a uh, she's a behavior analyst so she is oh, pretty intelligent okay. when it comes to working with the mind and sure. how that can be applied to everyday living. Yep. So she does help me out a little bit there, but it's not like direct help. It's more indirect. And 
it is helpful. Uh, I want to give a, a plug to your website, trevorhopbar.com, and you're also a writer. Two things that we'll touch on later in the conversation, but when I was reading what some of your stuff, it, it got me to think, i got to ask you, I want to know about the role of technology. People wouldn't necessarily, you know, equate running with technology, but is there a connection? Do you use technology? I do. Yeah. Thanks for sharing out my website too. I need to update that a little bit more frequently. <laughs> um, I do think there is a role for technology. So when I train, I use a GPS watch, mm-hmm. but I don't have, um, I don't have the feedback for total distance over that time span and I don't have the feedback for the pace that I'm running. Right. Uh, those are two variables that I don't like to see. All I have is just time. And then I'll go out there and do my workout, whether whatever the workout is, um, I'll just go out and do it based off the time. And then I'll also focus on effort, of course. And then when I come home, I plug my watch in and that's when I see all of the data. And if I take a look at the data, and I'm feeling really strong out there, then the data is probably going to reflect that. But if I'm feeling not as hot on that day, then the data is going to reflect that as well. And I can take a look at the data and compare it to how I was feeling and make note of that and just use that to optimize my training in the future. Data or analytics? Because that's, that's the buzzword in sport right now, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what's the difference between the two? You know what? It's a buzzword. <laughs> I, th- I mean, when I think of analytics, I think of statistics, um, ratios, created numbers um, that, you know, theories that one would plug in. You know, I look at baseball, war or whatever, and, you know, hockey will have Corsi and things like that. I'm just wondering, are there are there formulas? Is there data? And part of that is it's an informed question from reading about and I want to get to what you did and accomplished in Toronto but you were very systematic about the times. So I'm just wondering how much analytics go into what you do. Yeah, not, not a whole lot, to okay. be honest. Okay. I'm really, yeah, I'm really hands off when it comes to numbers. Okay. Um, and I really don't like to be dictated by numbers either. So I really just try and focus on the feel more than anything. Um, and that's a and change for you, right? Because if I read correctly you were influenced by some people that you, that you eventually, because you brought up pace, but that's something you took out of the equation, right? It is. Yeah. And I think when GPS watches started to become a big thing in uh, endurance sports, I definitely jumped on that. And there's an, there's a website called Strava where every athlete's on there as well. And it's kind of like a social media platform to share your activities. Right. So I, there was a little bit of hype around that and I definitely jumped onto that train. Um, but then over time I noticed that I was too focused on how fast I was running, uh, on my watch. And I was too worried about what others were going to think of that run and what other athletes were doing as well. So when, when I took a step back and I analyzed that, I was like, Oh, this is not healthy for me and it's not working. So what change am I going to make? And there was a couple of athletes that I knew out in Guelph. Um, Eric Gillis is the example. He didn't use pace on his watch. He just put time. And he just focused on uh, running his two hours a day or running his three-minute intervals or uh, whatever he was doing. So that 
that to me kind of opened up my eyes because, hey, here's a guy who's gone to the Olympics three times. Right. And he doesn't care about all those fancy numbers. He just goes out there and does his best, puts it into the bank, and then moves on to the next day. When you tell that story, it reminds me of so many things in sport, right? Like, you know, the adaptation of uh, wooden to carbon fiber hockey sticks, and guys were late adapters, and the technology and new ideas and theories all the time were, were early adapters, but sometimes the people who have the most success are the ones that, that find out what's most important and drill down to it. Is, is your sport sometimes guilty of that? Is there trends and things? Because that's almost what it sounds like you just told. Yeah, with the with the data itself? Or? Yeah, well, I just the sport itself, right? Is the sport influenced by trends? Technology, footwear, I... You know what I'm saying? Like, it... yeah, yeah, it it definitely is. Um, yeah, the first craze that came along was kind of the uh, the GPS watch, and then you had people running in minimal footwear, and now you have people running in maximal footwear and <laughs> or maximum cushioning footwear, I should sure. say. Um, and then you have people running with like hydration vests and a hydration belts, and like the sport is super gimmicky. You could. Um, you can make a headband and say that it's going to make you run 0.01% faster and people are going to start wearing it and it's going to be sold out everywhere. So I think everybody's always looking for that next edge. And I think some of the stuff that may look gimmicky, like hydration vests, they're actually very practical, especially if you hike as well. Yep. You do want to have hydration and nutrition with you and you do want to have uh, some stuff packed into your bag just in case of like the weather turns and if you're doing trail races or ultra marathons and spending a lot of time out there, that makes sense. Um, and then that's, that's going to be the same with footwear and nutrition. If you're looking to better yourself, set yourself up for success with the best available tools in your moment. And I think that is going to help everybody achieve their own goals. How, how particular are you about footwear? Uh, I wear a lot of brands, Okay. so I don't have one brand that, um, I gravitate towards. I do like to keep an open mind and I do like to wear a lot of other brands because every brand fits differently and every brand feels different. Mm -hmm. So it's going to activate my stabilizing muscles differently and it's going to help strengthen my feet and my lower limbs and it's going to make me more biomechanically strong. So I do like to rotate a lot of my footwear and I'm not just stuck to one brand or one shoe. How how are this is a weird question. How are your feet? Um, are, are, are your feet? Are you able? You know, do you need any special? And I apologize because I used to know the terms, but there, when it comes to running shoes, right? There's certain um, there's certain factors that go into finding the proper fit. Totally, yeah. And there's different categories of shoes too, right? Yeah. So yeah. you have a shoe that has maximal cushioning, which is usually intended for your longer, easier kind of runs. And then you have some of those more minimal shoes for like your faster intervals. And then you have, well, the newest thing is like the marathon specific shoes with the carbon plate in it. Mm -hmm. And those can also be used for 10K and half marathon distances. Um, so there is like different categories for shoes and um, every brand does fit differently. So I find like Adidas, um, they fit really narrow to my feet. So I just can't wear them because... I've lost a toenail wearing them and it was just because of like weird, uh, weird spots where it's rubbing. Yep. And then also they just like, they just don't fit my feet well. So, um, that's one example of a brand that doesn't work well. Uh, um, how, in a year, how many pairs would you go through? Oh, 
a lot. <laughs> I should actually keep a tally of that. Maybe right now is the time to like start well, yeah, tally. How many shoe <laughs> boxes you got kicking around the house right now, Trevor? Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, at any given period, I have about uh, ten to fifteen pairs of running shoes. Wow. Um, and I do rotate through all of them. I never wear one shoe uh, consecutively for my runs. So I run twelve times a week. Yep. And I always wear a different shoe. Uh, for every run. Wow. Okay. Um, this one's the very unprofessional question. Uh, <laughs> do you listen to music when you run? I don't. You don't? Uh, no, but I did when I was first getting into the sport. Okay. Why? When I was first getting into the sport, it motivated me. Yeah. And at that time, I was only, I thought running like 10 minutes was a big deal. Um, <laughs> so I, I would listen to a couple songs and that would like get me through my run. Yeah. And then once I started running more and more, I found that the iPod was just becoming too annoying, um, because I was always like fixing my headphones or it was bouncing up and down or, okay. um, the songs were skipping or it was just a variable that I could control and get rid of. And yeah. it made, made running a little bit more stress-free, um, and then I, when I did take out the headphones, I realized how peaceful it is. So running to me when I was listening to music, it was something that I got like really pumped up for and a lot of adrenaline was spent yep. in that activity. Yep. And then when I got rid of the headphones, it became very like meditative and it brought me a lot of peace and relaxation. So I was able to cope with stress a little bit better. I was able to study better and review what I was studying in my head a little bit more and a little bit more efficiently when I was out on the trails. And then you just like, you hear the birds and when you pass somebody, you hear them say good morning or maybe now that's me. I'm running without music and I'm saying good morning to people and they're wearing headphones and they don't hear me or they don't even acknowledge me, wave at them. And I kind of see that as like being rude because if you're outside enjoying uh, enjoying the nice weather or doing it for whatever you're doing, at least like acknowledge other people and like give them a wave, especially in these times right now where oh, we yeah. don't know how, how many people we're seeing in a day. We're pretty isolated. I find that running with music just takes away that peaceful relaxation aspect of the sport itself. When you run to train versus when you run to compete, what's going through your head in both scenarios? What are you you know, again, you talk about the peace, and obviously you're very much aware of your surroundings, but is your mind different? Is your mindset different in those two, you know, separate cases? Oh, yeah. Um, they're complete opposite, to be honest. Hmm. Um, when I step onto a start line, if I can relate myself to an animal, I, I see myself as like a lion or apex predator. Um, I... Yeah, I, I'm quite confident in my in my abilities when I get to a start line because I know that I've done the training. I know the work that I've put in. I know that I'm at my peak fitness. And when I do my best and when I complete a training block, I know that not a lot of people are going to beat me. So I step on that start line and I'm complete opposite from when I am just out in my everyday life. Are you aware in competition now? In competition, mm -hmm. are you aware of 
people around you? Are you aware of the people? Are, are you assessing? Is this like a weigh-in in the UFC or boxing? Are you, you know, is there any kind of that going on as you're getting set to begin? Oh, yeah. I, I know who everybody is on a start line. I know what all of their personal bests are. I know what they're capable of. Right. Uh, I have an idea of what they're going to try and do on that day. And I, I understand that. And then I throw it all away. And I just don't care. Um, because I'm out there to compete. I'm out there to do my best. And they're all my competitors. So even if it's my best friend on the start line, don't care about him. Okay. Because I'm going to beat him. And no matter what his personal best is or what he's done in the past, that's not applicable to the present. So I'm just focused on worrying about the present and getting the job done. You've established that if I run into you down in Fish Creek, you're going to wave and say hi to me. If I line up against you or I'm preparing for a race against you, a marathon, can I talk to you? Do you know? No, are you an? You know, do you have a persona or a something that you project? You said apex predator. Are you in such a zone that that you give off the vibe? Yeah, there there have been a couple of moments like that where yeah. I just stay to myself and I don't talk to anybody. Um, but I found that to be kind of unhealthy. So at start lines, I do recognize my competition. Like if I have a friend on the start line. I'll give him like a fist bump and like encourage him okay. because yep. um, that is what healthy competition is. But at the same time in my head, I'm thinking I'm going to crush you, but I hope you have a good day anyways. <laughs> so it, it, it might sound like kind of a uh, kind of weird saying that, but I think anybody who's competitive kind of understands that. No, no it doesn't. And, and, you know, congratulations on being number two, right? That's what you're thinking. Like, no, that, that's yeah, what it is. Yeah. See, what I'd like to know is, you know, I mentioned the UFC or, uh, you know, these these sports that get all this coverage. We begin to understand the good guys and the bad guys. We understand how the, the you know, or we think we do, of how the community is. Tell me, take us inside a little bit in, in your peer group and the people that you compete against. Are there black hats? Are there villains? Are there, is there much trash talking? Is it, it, or does everybody, you know, are you all part of a brotherhood? And, and I guess I would equate that a little bit to when you talk to sliders, you know, the luge and the skeleton guys will tell you that the North Americans all get along, want nothing to do with the Russians, and the Germans think they invented the sport. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just kind of curious if, if in your discipline there's any of that. Yeah, a little bit. For the most part across Canada, we're all pretty pretty friendly with each other. Um, I've made a lot of really, really good friends in the sport. Um, I've also idolized idolized some athletes in my sport um, who I had gone on to meet in real life and learned that, oh, I actually don't like that person. Um, So I I think it's like a a job, right? You, You make some friends, but you also learn about some other people that you just don't like, and sometimes personalities clash there. Um, but I think we all, for the most part, really respect each other for okay. our work ethic and our drive and uh, what we want to do respectfully in the sport itself. And I think we're all out there to help grow the sport and to help encourage the next wave of athletes coming up uh, to kind of follow in our footsteps and to use us as like a measuring stick. Right. Because 
the the mark that I want to leave as an athlete on this sport is not to be the best forever. I want somebody who's younger than me to look at me and say, I want to be better than him and then go and do it. And that's how you continue evolution. That's how you continue to get stronger as a country. And that's how you close the gap between Canada and like some, say an African country who like is very, very strong in the marathon. So that's, I I hope younger athletes look at me and they say, I want to be better than that guy and I'm going to put in the work ethic. Right. And I'll definitely encourage them and try and give them all the resources and all, all of my tools that I've acquired over the years to get them to that point. But I just really want the younger athletes to shoot, to be better than the current crop of athletes. And I think a lot of other athletes think the same way. You sound very Canadian, if I may Thank say you. so. Very <laughs> Canadian. Um, what I didn't hear in there, and, and, and I'm guess, guessing doesn't happen, is there, there, is there dirty tricks or there shenanigans? You know, when you're in a marathon against the best in the world, is there anything that they, you know, a guy might do? You know, the old adage in a football game when you get into the pile after, you know, stuff happens that nobody sees sort of thing. Is there any of that in in marathoning? Is there anything of that in road road racing? Not a whole lot. In road racing, um, individuals will put in surges. So say if they can notice a competitor is getting tired through their breathing, they'll pick up the pace for, say, 200, 400 meters and try and break that athlete. Yep. Uh, one thing that I like to do is talk to other athletes. <laughs> so if I'm in a marathon and it's getting around kilometer number 30 okay. and I'm feeling pretty good and I can tell that another athlete is working harder than me because they're breathing harder than me um, and I'm more relaxed in that moment, I'll try and see something in my surroundings and say something or I'll try and like say something about them um, or just – I'll try and talk to them because I don't know. I feel like that's a way of possibly breaking them because then if they think, Oh, this guy has enough energy to talk right now and I'm really struggling. Yep. Yep. I'm already done. Yep. So I've done that in a few races and it's, it's so enjoyable. It's so enjoyable to do to others, but to have it being done to you must really suck. Oh, that no, that see, that's, that's what I was looking for. See that you just let us in in the world a little bit, because yeah, it's, that it's the mind games. It is the mind games. It's exactly what you said. If I, because you also said if if you sense that I'm breathing a little bit heavier, and you start talking, and my reflex is to answer. That's not helping, right? It's not helping me to pay attention or engage with you. That's fascinating, Trevor. Absolutely fascinating. Exactly. Yeah, and a lot of the sport too. Well, I guess in every single sport, sure. like ninety percent of it is mental. And when you're really starting to hurt in running, you start thinking about that. And if you have somebody next to you who's like showing no wear or tear, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that can really break you mentally really quick. Do you, for you to be successful, do you need to be out first? Do you need to be ahead and maintain the lead, or are you okay stalking? I'm okay being wherever, okay. Um, and I actually prefer uh, to be to be the hunter. Okay. basically yep um i'm out there to catch my prey so i do like to hang back a little bit um but if i am very confident in my abilities and i know that i can do something sooner than others would then i'll definitely take that lead and uh get out front 
In conversation uh, with Trevor Hoffbauer, our guest here on Sport Calgary. By the way, Sport Calgary is the voice of over 275 sports organizations in the Calgary area. Share your voice and become a Sport Calgary member for free at sportcalgary.ca slash members. Um, so we know where you are, but where did you come from? I, I think I heard you mention basketball in there. Were you a, a, a into big-time sports growing up, or have you always team sports, I guess, or, or have you always been an individual guy? I've always been into sports. Um, go, going through school, I didn't put a lot of effort in mm-hmm. because I wasn't really into academics. I didn't really care about learning about Shakespeare or learning about how um, biology worked and all that. I just cared about sports. Um, so when I was a kid, I played a lot of different sports. played basketball, uh, indoor soccer, did I say basketball or baseball before? You said I thought you said basketball. Baseball would be the first. Do you play baseball too? I did play a little bit of baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I played football during lunch hour at school. Yeah. Um, I was I was good at a lot of different sports, but I wasn't exceptional. And I guess basketball was my main sport growing up. All the way through high school, I played basketball, and that was like my end all be all. But I just never put in the work. I never got into the gym. I never put in those extra hours like other athletes did, um, just bouncing a ball or working on specific skills. So I never put in the effort. And that's something I really regret with basketball because I think I had a potential there. Um, but then when I actually did get my acting gear, that was after high school when I was going into state. And that's when I started to pick up running because I needed something uh, to keep me physically active. So I got into running when I was about 19 years old at a serious level mm-hmm. and from there it just kind of took off i guess it was like 1920 i was 20 and you're 28 now i am so i yeah. just want this just want to point that one point out that i think is so important that in the span of nine years you've gone from starting to the olympics and, yeah. and I, I think we need to celebrate those. I, I think we need to celebrate those accomplishments more. I think, it, and you played a lot of sports. That's my concern is that we see too much early specialization and we focus on something. I just think it's important to point someone like yourself out and go, hey, you know, th- this is what happens and you don't need to have been a runner for your entire life. I think it's incredible. Thanks. Yeah, and in high school and junior high, I did do cross country. Uh, I ran a little bit of track and field those were all complementary towards basketball because I wanted to maintain fitness throughout the off season so I could be better on the court for the next season. But every time we would do strides during basketball practice, I was usually the first or second guy had done strides or done suicides. Yep. Like when you go and touch the foul line and all that. Yep. Um, even in gym class, I remember this one gym class, Mr. Lute was my teacher and he he knew that I was good at running. So he went through the class list. And when he said your name, you go outside and you run a lap of the pond at Bishop Burn. <laughs> and it was like, it was a two kilometer loop basically. And then you finish at the gym and then we start gym class. So he goes through the whole list alphabetically. And my name is usually higher up on the list. So he gets to my name and he skips it. And then I'm the last person in the gym and he finally says my name. And then <laughs> he's like, oh, Hoffbauer, I didn't see your name on there. Well, you better get running. So I'm like, oh, what a jerk. <laughs> so I got out the door and I, I ran around that loop so hard. 
and I beat every single person in my gym class. And I came back into the gym and I said, hey, Lute, where do you want us to go? And he looked at me and he's like, did you already do the loop? I'm like, yeah, I just did the loop. I, I beat everybody. And he's like, okay, okay. And he was like kind of caught off guard because I got back so quickly. So I think there, there were individuals in my life who recognized my ability my ability yep. even before I did. Yep. And Mr. Tommy Amma was one of my basketball coaches that recognized my ability too, where he saw my stature and he knew that I was like suited for distance running. Um, so there were people that knew I, I could be really good at distance running, but never told me. And I'm thankful for that because I was able to find that fire and that passion on my own and then put in 100% of my time and effort into the sport to get work. I am right now. So when did that kind of crossroads or apex happen for you? When did you go from being a runner and, and you knew you could do it, but no, 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 now now I got a goal. Now I can see where I want to go. Yeah, it was during my first and second year at State Polytechnic. Jamie Grant was the coach, and he introduced me to the sport. He kind of ignited the fire underneath me to get me going, and he was the one – that physically told me, Hey Trevor, you have potential to be really good at this. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of that first guy that told me that. And he made me believe in myself more than anybody else has. Um, he was the one that gave me the motivation to strive towards personal greatness and to never put a ceiling over my head. So I've always just shot for the stars and I've always had really lofty ambitions with the sport ever since I kind of teamed up with him. And that's, him lighting the fire underneath me has allowed me to do what I have done now. And it has allowed me to really take the sport seriously. Did you compete in the ACAC then? I did. How'd you do? Poor. Uh, poorly, <laughs> poorly, I should say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was not good. Wow. My first year I had shin splints and I placed 76 at nationals. Our team didn't even qualify for nationals, but it was in Kamloops and our female team did. So we went out just like for fun and I ran so poorly. And then the next year I was healthy and I came 25th at nationals. And that year we actually, yeah, we actually qualified for it. So it was in Montreal. But with the ACAC compared to U Sports or I guess formerly it was CIS. Yeah. Um, there's a big drop off in, um, in talent. True. in the ACAC compared to CIS. Yep. So there are some really, really good athletes in the ACAC or in the CCAA would be Canada wide. There are some really good athletes in CCAA, um, but that would be like the top 10. Whereas like in CIS, it would be like the top 20 or 30 are really good athletes. Mm -hmm. So because I came 25th, it's that's nothing like groundbreaking. And then from there, I graduated from state and I just continued to work hard and I ran a half marathon in Vancouver and that went positively. And then I ran it again the next year and that went even better. And then ran a Victoria half marathon six months later and continued to see improvement for every race that I did because I was maintaining my health. I was putting in a hundred percent of my effort every day. I was believing my abilities. I was confident in myself. I never limited myself um, to, to anything. I never saw myself as an athlete that couldn't do anything. I saw everything in such a positive light of what could I do? What can I be? 
and I focused on the positives and I focused towards being better. And that got me a lot of success over the last years. When did you, uh, when, or when do you think, um, that you got the attention when do you think people started to to take notice of you because you would you know we were talking about kind of the short period of time of how you've been competitive but it would have been about seven years in that you won your first title right your first uh, Canadian title yeah actually my first Canadian title came in 2017 uh I won the marathon championships that year and right. I ran 218 um and then in 2018, I won the half marathon, and in 2019, won the marathon. And yeah. uh, in 2016, I came third at the cross country nationals, and that got some attention. And then in in 2015, I ran 104 for the half marathon, and that was like that was my first breakthrough race. It got uh, a lot of attention in Canada because at the time, I think it was like the tenth fastest time, and not a lot of athletes have run quicker than 104 in Canada. So at that time, it got a lot of attention. And then from there, like I was saying, cross-country happened and then marathon and then half marathon and kind of went on. But it was 2015 that I first got a little bit of attention there. Did you, I, I read, I believe I read, you went over to Africa and trained in Kenya? Is that correct? I did, yeah. How did that come about and what was that experience like for you? Uh, it was... It was a unique experience, to put it that way. Mm. Um, I, I got the idea of going over there because a teammate of mine in Guelph, John Mason, he had gone over there every year for like the last three years. Same with Reed Colsett. They had very positive experiences being over there. So being at high altitude and being like kind of the mecca of distance running, I thought, oh, like I have an opportunity right now where I want to get the best out of myself. If this is going to help me get to the next level, let's try it. Let's like, let's go for it. Let's see how they live in Africa because they are the world's best marathoners. Let's see how they train. Let's try and learn from that and then bring it home and utilize it in your own personal training. So that's where kind of the motivation and idea came from. And it was, it was a positive experience. Um, but it was also negative at the same time. So the positives were learning how they trained, how they lived, uh, how their focus was, how they handled every day, and how they could control different situations. But the negative was being so isolated away from home. I'm a very social person when it comes to my own social circle. Yeah. And I really like being around other individuals, and having that isolation was very challenging. Um, it's a beautiful country, too. Uh, that's one big takeaway is seeing some of these exotic animals and uh, learning what the land has to offer and learning how the people go about their days. I think there's a lot for people to take away by going over there. Are they are they open to share? Uh, a little bit. Uh, a lot of runners, I say, pick up conversation easily because they all want to know like what your next competition is or what you're doing in terms of your training, like a lot of chatter within athletes over there is about running itself. Mm -hmm. And that can become a little bit overwhelming mm -hmm. uh, because if you're, if you're one that doesn't want to talk about running, <laughs> there's a lot of running talk to be done. So that can really get to you mentally. Uh, um, whereas I like to talk a little bit more about current events, life situations, sure. uh, what else is happening on the planet. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it is kind of open atmosphere to talk about training and ideas, but it can become overwhelming. 
Let's um, let's shift our attention to Toronto this this past year. Um, for the first time in forty three years, and you you were one of them. A Canadian ran a, a marathon under two ten. Um, talk about that goal. Talk about that journey and and how you ended up. And I mentioned before the writing. I was in, it just was really interesting to have you lay out the 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 progression to that. Yeah, so going into Toronto, Athletics Canada gave us an opportunity that we could earn an automatic spot on the Canadian Olympic team. If, you, if you're the top Canadian at the Toronto uh, Waterfront Marathon, which they labeled as the Olympic Trials. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had to be the top Canadian, and then over the span of 18 months that they have the Olympic window open for, you have to run the standard as well. So I looked at it and I'm like, okay, so if you run the standard and you place first at Toronto, you're automatically going to Toronto. That's my goal. I'll shoot for the stars. I have nothing to lose. I've put in blood, sweat, and tears. I've put in my savings. I've put in all of my effort over the last eight years for this one moment. Let's do it. Let's see how fit I can get. So that's what my focus was. And I knew that Cam Levins, he's the current record holder, was going to be on the start line. I knew there was going to be three, four, five other guys that were going to try and shoot for that as well because, like, why wouldn't you if you're given that opportunity? Right. So my focus was to run faster than 2.11.30 and to be the first Canadian. Um, So going into that, my training went exceptionally well. I was healthy the whole time. We didn't have a lot of smoke uh, in 2019 as opposed to 2018 when we did have a lot of smoke, which kind of – Forest fires. You're You're talking about forest fires now. Yeah. 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 The forest fires. Yep. Yep. Um, So the weather conditions over the span of the four months that I need to train was perfect. Um, And all the stars aligned. So I was fit. I was confident. I had a huge amount of self-belief. I had my family out there from Michigan. My dad came out too. I had family from Sarnia. Um, All the stars aligned. And I was able to... to just ride through it and get the job done. When you, what, what's post race like for you? Because you're not like the, the average marathoner that is probably at the end is puking and can't move and probably has a dozen beers to, to numb the pain. <laughs> what was the end of that race? Do you remember what was going on? How you, you know, kind of uh, felt? Yeah. So I actually have a little bit of story about that or a little bit of a story about that. So I crossed the finish line and I'm super excited. I'm like looking for my family and people are wanting to do interviews with me because of, uh, how big of, a, of an accomplishment it was. So I finally get a hold of my family and I see them and I give them big hugs and everything. And I'm like super happy. And then doping control came over and they're like, Hey, this is your chaperone. Uh, we're going to take you into doping control and do some testing. So I'm like, okay, no problem. Cause like, clean sport you want to be an advocate for that and like it's not a big deal yep so we go down into the elite area um i'm ready to pee right away because i consume like two liters of beverage over the span of the marathon and i go in and i pee i'm like thank god like i did that right away i'm done i have the rest of the day with my family so when they do the pee test for you they they measure the gravity of your pee and if the gravity isn't high enough you have to redo it because it's too diluted um, so because the temperature was really good on the day in Ontario, there wasn't a lot of humidity. I was like, I wasn't dehydrated at all. 
So I was basically peeing water. So <laughs> I did my first, I did my first drug test and I had to redo it because I basically peed out water. So I had to wait three hours. They took us on a bus through Toronto, um, which took like a good 45 minutes to get back to this hotel where they're doing the testing, which was only like a kilometer away because of all the road closures. Uh, we get to the hotel and have to pee again. And the hotel that they take us to is a different hotel from where I'm staying. And where I was staying, my cell phone was there. Um, my family was there. Everybody was at the hotel I was staying at, but doping control was at a different hotel. So I get to the hotel. I don't have communication with everybody. Um, I pee. I'm like, oh, thank God. I'm done right away. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I pee out basically more water. So that's test number two. It didn't come back <laughs> um, with the right amount of gravity. So at that point, I basically peed out everything. And I had to eat food. I had to drink coffee. It took me three more hours till I could finally do another test. And at that time, I finally peed. And it worked. And it had the right amount of gravity. And I was able to go. But it was 5 o'clock. <laughs> and I ran the race at... I think start time of the race was 7.30. So from 9.30 until 5, I was in doping control when all I wanted to do was celebrate the moment with my family and oh. my friends and just kind of soak in the moment. Um, so that, <laughs> that's my doping control story after the race. Um, <laughs> but then when I got back to the hotel, I had like a 100 notifications for like from friends, family, uh, interview requests. Uh, it, it took me four days to get through everything. And it was very, very overwhelming. So uh, that's, that's one experience. Yeah, that was that was this year. But a lot of races are like that, where you do have a lot of media requests after and you do have doping control and uh, you do have people reaching out to communicate as well. So it is a little bit overwhelming, but it's just a part of the job. Tell me a little bit about your website and tell me a little bit about your writing. Where does that fit for you? Yeah, it's it's a way to share ideas and thoughts with other people. Uh, it's a way that I can kind of give back to the community indirectly without being in the community at all times. So if I can provide like even a sentence that could be relatable to somebody or even something that motivates somebody else, that's the only objective that I have with my website. And I have been trying to update it, but I just haven't had a lot of material to write about right now. And I, I guess I do have material now with all this COVID-19, sure. but yeah. also you've got to be sensitive because everybody's dealing with the same, same issue. Um, but that's kind of where it fits in. I just want to give back to the community. I want to provide word of, words of inspiration, and I just want to be a good role model within my community as well. And that's something that comes from the heart. It's not something that I'm forced to do because I have a certain status in my sport. Um, two longer term picture questions. One, I'll, I'll save the short term one, but the longer term one, will you always run? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoy it. Um, the best part about making the Olympics is I knew where my temporary finish line was. Mm -hmm. Like I know that I'm going to continue to compete for the next eight years. I think I have the potential to make three Olympic teams. Okay. Um, 
But after 2020, I was hoping to just take a few steps back and kind of enjoy life and go skiing and go golfing and um, play tennis a little bit more and play some basketball and just, just do some stuff that I wasn't able to do during the last five years. Um, but now with it being postponed, that kind of time period where I can take off has been pushed back a little bit, but that's okay. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how it all boils down. So the short term is Tokyo, now 2021. Um, yeah. And I've done enough interviews with athletes and competitors. I, I'm not going to, you know, I, I never want to insult anyone. You're going there to win. How How does... How does Trevor Hoffbauer go to Tokyo and win? How do you end up on that podium? Yeah, um, my ultimate goal for Tokyo is to be in the top 20 um, for my race, and my B goal is to be in the top 40. Um, the af- it, it, It's really hard to say what the day is going to present because it could also be a tactical race, and who knows mm-hmm. how that's going to play out. Um, but I, I don't... I don't focus too much on winning. Like say, say for Toronto Marathon, if you were the first Canadian, then all of that other pieces would come into place where you would make the Olympic team. Right. Um, so my focus on that day was to win, but my focus in Tokyo is to be in my best possible shape to represent myself and my country to the best of my abilities. And whatever the outcome of that is, I'll be happy with because I'll know that on that day I was at my best. And I did my best. Are you, are you a mutter? To use an old horse racing term, are you a bad weather guy, or, or do you have to have perfect conditions to be successful? I can compete in both. Yeah, uh, I love competing in challenging conditions because I know not a lot of other people can compete in challenging conditions. Um, but I can also compete really well in perfect conditions because I know that I always put in my best. You may <laughs> excuse me. You mentioned early on in this conversation that, that Calgary's a, a good running city. Why? What makes Calgary a good running city? We have over 200 kilometers of paved pathway in the city. Uh, we, have over, we have over 100 kilometers of maintained trail in the city as well. Um, then you extend that to Bray Creek. You extend that to uh, Cochrane, to Canmore. There is so much land that we can cover by foot and by bike and by cross-country skis that I think it's foolish of individuals to not take advantage of that. Um, We have like this beautiful backdrop as well. Um, Calgary is a phenomenal place because of the community. It's supportive. It's encouraging it. Um, It really motivates you to get the best out of yourself and then also, um, we are at a thousand meters. So you do have a little bit of altitude there that does work to your advantage. So we naturally get less oxygen at a higher altitude. So when you go down to sea level, you're going to run faster than any time when you had to run in Calgary because you do get more oxygen at sea level and it keeps your heart rate a little bit lower and it does provide more oxygen to your muscles. Um, so I, those are the reasons why Calgary is such a phenomenal place to train and live. One, the last question I ask everybody on this podcast, and, and it's open-ended, you can interpret it any way you want, but Trevor, give me your hidden Calgary gem. 
What's a hidden – when we all come out of this, and I want people to be listening to the podcast and get a list of neat places or things that they should try, but give me your hidden Calgary gem. Fish Creek Park. Um, <laughs> I love I think it. People, I think people are exploring that a little bit more Yeah. Um, now with the current situation. But Fish Creek Park from uh, Deerfoot Trail at Douglasdale, where, the, where Deerfoot Trail crosses the Bow River, all the way south to 22X, and then from that point west, um, past McLeod Trail, all the way to... Uh, I believe it's Tutina Nation. Yep. That part of the city, nothing even compares. Like everywhere that I've been in the world, I've never thought, oh, I like this more than Fish Creek. Fish Creek is that place for me. It's just beautiful. And going west, it's like running through a prairie, like between Mackenzie Lake and McLeod Trail. It's kind of like running through a prairie because there's not a lot. But then once you go west of McLeod Trail, it's like being in the forest. Yeah. And then that's the same with the north-south side going from Deerfoot to 22X there. It's kind of like a prairie, but there's so many trails in there. There's like so many little hidden trails too. So the landscape is always changing. It's quiet. People are friendly. That's the hidden gem. Dude, I love it. So if you're ever down there running and you see an old fat guy waddling with a black lab wave at me and i'll wave back to you i can't tell you (laughs) how much i've enjoyed this conversation trevor thank you so much um your honesty was incredible it was so neat to get uh, the curtain pulled back on your sport and and I, i just really appreciate that thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today thank you rob i really appreciate it and yeah i i really did try to open myself a little bit more because calgary is where we both live and i want people to see who i am and that's where the honesty comes from. What a cool dude. Uh, Trevor Hoffbauer. Uh, so kind of him to open up the way he did at the beginning of this conversation. Um, he is a really, um, to me, I've done this enough that uh, you know when you've got, you got a guy putting on airs or a gal putting on airs and you know when you're talking to the real deal. This is the real deal, folks. Um, this kid deserves, um, he deserves good things to happen to him. Um, it's a struggle right now, as you can appreciate. He was very open and honest about that at the beginning of the conversation, um, but also um, loved, loved, loved his hidden gem because I honestly, if asked the question, probably would have said the same one. Uh, Fish Creek Park's huge for, for me and my family, so that was really cool. Thanks to Trevor for joining us. Do want to remind you, you can check out his website, trevorhoffbauer.com. Uh, great writer. I really enjoyed reading his pieces. So if you get a chance, check it out. Boy, lots of people coming up. I'm always a little leery to 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 name names because I don't I don't want I want to make sure I don't, we don't miss anybody. But look, I can tell you already we've had Erica Weeb on here. Uh, we've had uh, Peter Labardius, Trent McClellan, uh, Steve Messler, Katrina LeMay Dome, Peter Marr. Uh, I know coming up, uh, Al Coates, former Flames general manager, is going to stop by for a visit. Um, in the coming weeks, Tom Higgins, Grey Cup champion, twice uh, CFL uh, Coach of the Year, a really neat guy, used to be the director of officiating for the CFL. He's going to drop by and join us. Um, Mary Moran, uh, who is the present CEO of Calgary Economic Development. Rob, this is a sports podcast. Aha! 
also happens to be the chair of the uh, Sport Calgary Directors. So really looking forward to these guests and more. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share. Please let people know. Uh, if you know somebody that uh, would enjoy them, send them the link, sportcalgary.ca slash podcast. would love them to, to check it out. Make sure you come back. We'd love to see you. Thank you for being here. Once again, this is the original Six Feet Conversation Podcast here at Sport Calgary.